0: their SAP system called HANA could process every tax return in the history of the world since 1957 to now in under four minutes.
1: Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 67. And today my guest is... Tom Hood, who's the CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute. Accounting Today describes Tom by saying, If there's a conversation about the future of the accounting profession, you're bound to hear Tom Hood's name mentioned as one of the people leading the way. Tom is doing as much as anyone, and more than most, to lead public accounting forward. Tom helped the CPA profession create its vision not once, but twice, and he's on a mission to help CPAs make sense of the changing and complex world. Our discussion focuses on how technology is impacting the accounting profession and how CPAs need to begin transforming themselves into an anticipatory CPA. Most CPAs that I interact with do not have a complete understanding of the technology of blockchain and how artificial intelligence interacts with this technology, for example. Tom does an excellent job in explaining both of these concepts, along with discussing the MACPA partnership with IBM to train accounting professionals in technology skills such as artificial intelligence, big data, and cognitive computing. Go back and listen to my original interview with Tom in episode number three, which occurred in June of 2016, and compare it with this interview. A lot has changed in a short period, and now it's time to start accumulating those skills necessary to better compete in the marketplace when this technology is fully adapted. Before we get to the interview, I would like to talk about the first five episodes of this podcast are now qualified for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, former CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, author of Gratitude Marketing. Tom Hood, well, you've been introduced to him and you will be introduced to him again. Ed Mindlowitz, who's a partner with with Smith & Brown. And Carl Aurex, who's an HR professional at Gregory & Appel. These episodes are located on the MACPA BLI self-study website and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can listen to them on your daily commute or while working out, or even at your desk. When you're finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or your computer. It's that easy. While all selected Improvers No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. This is not nano-learning. This is self-study learning. You can get detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, listen, learn, and earn, Improv is No Joke podcast on my homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Okay, now let's get to the interview with Tom Hood. Tom, thank you for coming back on my podcast. You were one of the original five, and we had a great discussion back then, and I want to pick up on it today. But first, thank you for taking time out of, I know, your extremely hectic schedule to spend a little time with me today.
0: It's, a, it's an honor, Peter. You know that. So I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, thank you. The last time we talked to you, you had just come out of Spring Council 2016, and one of the things we discussed in that, the early podcast was how technology was impacting the accounting profession. And I thought that might be our launching pad today, on picking up on that conversation a little more than a year after the fact. So, so what are you seeing out there? What's going on out there?
0: Well, I think it's funny. We we probably talked about kind of the way we've thought about this stuff, which is technology is a hard trend. It's it's actually progressing at a predictable rate. And so, to your point, we're in the really big deal phase. This stuff is um, moving very rapidly, and we're starting to see impacts in accounting. So I think the notion of artificial intelligence, blockchain, big data, all are part of this exponential technology trend, and it truly is an exponential curve right now. So that means it's pretty much doubling in, in speed and impact every year, and we're actually seeing that now in in places all over the profession
1: I'm, I'm seeing a lot a lot more written about it these days in, in the general of accounting and accounting today and, and hearing more about it And I mean there's like a flood of things running through my mind but I don't understand blockchain and I we'll just do a little, little bit of a technical piece and I think a lot of CPAs will, will, will hear that term and not sure really what it is is it like a 10,000 foot uh, description of what this blockchain is?
0: Yeah, let me let me take a crack at it. I'm still really wrapping my head around it, but I've done quite a bit of, of reading and collaboration to figure it out. So first of all, blockchain is best described as, I think, the internet of value. So if you think about the old days of the internet, where what they basically did was made search and information online Easy to find, locate, and absorb or read, right? That's what think about the early, you know, HTML protocols and all that stuff. Okay. So we didn't know what that was either before it happened. And I think blockchain's got that kind of potential uh, disruption, or I would call it an opportunity impact. What blockchain is doing is. Is going a deeper level and effectively creating a public ledger. And so as an accountant, we think about double entry accounting. In the blockchain world, it's called triple entry accounting. Whoa. So the the difference is when in double entry accounting, you have a you have books and I have books. Suppose we just transacted uh, i bought you to come in and do training for us right because you're one of our top instructors so i'm going to pay peter to come in and do training for us so now in my ledger i've got the transaction from my side correct i'm writing a check to peter right peter's delivering a service peter's got a ledger on your side that says i'm receiving cash and or a check and i've got i'm delivering this service But in the internet world, there's another ledger that shows both of our transactions, all sides of the transaction. So you can see what Peter's transactions were and what mine were, and it's all accessible to anyone who gets access to that third general ledger. Okay. So now think about that for a minute, because when an auditor has to validate things, what's happening is they're validating all the transactions from the other side. Correct. Correct. So if I right, so they would be in there validating my transaction with Peter because they can't validate it automatically. Okay. But if they had a third ledger that was had all those transactions securely encrypted so that no one could get access or change them, then would they need an audit? Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. You get the Notion. But it yeah. goes further than that. That so accounting isn't why they're doing it. But let's imagine a stock trade that gets cleared by an intermediary, or the better example, is your deed on your house and the mortgage settlement. There's this whole intermediary group that validates that it's a legitimate deed and that you are legitimately own it, right? And it's got a lien by your bank. Right. So all, the, all that trust, all that kind of trust, real estate group does, is has a reputation, and it can go validate those transactions. That's what it's doing for you, and you're paying money for that. But if it's in a blockchain world, when your deed was created, it creates a secure block of data, right? And that block of data then validates that transaction and who was a party to it. When you sell that house, the next block gets created showing the whole chain of transactions around that element of value. Okay. And that means it's all validated without a third party, which means you can transact with other people and they know your trust, you know, your deed of trust is legit because of looking at the blockchain. So it's, you could do this for music. Now, then you have to take that idea and say, what if this was all in a big database? that you could just constantly get access to if you were authorized and granted access to it, right? So that, that would be the person who owns the thing has the ultimate uh, responsibility of being able to grant other people's access to it. Okay. <laughs> this, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, let me give you a supply chain example that, that blew my mind. I don't know if this will make, make it clearer or make it muddier, <laughs> but it caught my attention. Um, actually, and it's from someone who we, uh, did some work with in the association world, who's called, you know, part of this whole sharing economy. So think about the whole movement to sustainable, organic foods, products, and things like that. And knowing that it's really legitimate, right. Or even in your food supply chain, I want my tuna caught legitimately. I don't want it in these big farming nets and, you know, all the things that are you know, uh, the illegal fisherman activity. So so this supply chain example, like, took place in Malaysia. It's, re- it's real. So there's these little, little guys in a canoe. They're going out in, you know, the Indian Ocean, wherever they catch the tuna. And that these are hand-caught, line-caught tuna, right? They've got smartphones. So when they go out there and they catch the tuna, they take their smartphone and they click. It geolocates it, and it creates the first block of data. This tuna was caught at this location at this point in time. And there's a picture of the tuna and the, obviously the record of where the boat was and who the people are. Now, when they drive back to the dock, they're going to hand the tuna off to a processing plant. At that point, they're going to create another block of data. It says now it's got moved from Tom to Peter, who's in the processing plant. So you take possession of the fish, and now you're going to start to— Process the fish. Well, the really good meat is going to go to the sushi restaurant, and the other stuff is going to be processed further down and become, you know, chunky tuna in a can, right? So now once that gets split, then the sushi tuna is another block of data that says here's where that, there's when it was processed into sushi, and now it's moving, and oh, it's going to go in a truck, and now it's going to these five sushi restaurants. And each one of those is another element of data all about that fish. And then the other part of it goes into the can, canning center, right? And the cans come out with a you know barcode that basically connects it back to that block of data. So that by the time you pull that block of data, you know, that, that tuna can off the shelf at your Trader Joe's, yeah, they can trace that tuna can back to that tuna on that day in the you know Indian Ocean. Wow. And this this is real. It's real. It's already happening now. It's automatic, and and so, so and then the point of this is that that can't be corrupted data because the way they're processing it is they're using peer-to-peer data miners. There's all kinds of goofy technology um, terms you'll hear, but this idea of a block being created—it's it's the block of data—but it's being created in parallel by like ten or fifteen people, which is almost which they claim is actually impossible to recreate or break so that you know the data that's in the block that's attached to the blockchain that labels the transaction you're dealing with is all legitimate and there's no need for any other third-party verification.
1: Okay. I, not, the, the tuna example helped me a lot. I, I, the, not, I kind of, and actually, as you were describing the process, I'm thinking it's like Domino's Pizza Tracker to some degree. Correct. Except it's all secure. Yes. And it keeps track of both sides of the transaction. So let's talk about secure just for a quick second. The cloud was supposed to be secure as well. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've come to find out that's not, that, that'd be my only.
0: Well, interesting enough, so I, I've talked to a bunch of security. So two things. The, one, one of the differences is in the cloud security, like any security, is all based on encryption. And it's the, whatever, 32-bit or 64-bit when you get to like military-grade encryption. So that's one aspect of it. The, the reality is almost all of the celebrated breaches in security were human breaches not not legitimately hacking breaches, believe it or not, okay, so you know like phishing and and identity theft or people with sticky notes and their passwords the The blockchain is created in I don't know if you'll remember this, but the old peer to peer network, so the reason like Napster remember when Napster cracked a code on pirating music and video, yeah. They did that from peer-to-peer, peer, so it couldn't be caught easily. In other words, peer-to-peer peer is when you and I are working independently on different computers on the same thing, and it, we create this code so that you and I have access to it. And then we add two more people and pretty soon, but you have 10 people doing it with different computers in different locations, and that that can't be traced or hacked because every transaction has a new set of people creating the codes. That's what these... In blockchain world, they're called miners, and that's how they create blocks that you would ultimately connect to and use. Okay. That makes sense. So I I would not say that it won't be hacked at some point because everything seems to be. I'm just saying that everyone I've talked to is pretty convinced that it's near impossible, if not impossible, to break the codes because of the way it's created. Okay. That's worth so I've been taking that at face value for now.
1: Right for now. So obviously this could have a huge impact on the profession.
0: Yes. All the big four have blockchain research centers. The fintech industry is the biggest one investing billions of dollars in figuring the transaction out. You could have your own private blockchain. So so Pete Margaritz could create his own blockchain for for your own like IP and those kind of things. They think it's gonna be a game changer in the intellectual property business. You think about what China has been no- noted for in terms of copying stuff illegally. If it has a blockchain, literally, you could pull down a logo or a picture or a podcast or a video or a book, and it will have a blockchain that says, this came from Peter Margaritas. And if, if other things do not have it, no one would ever be able to see that, that transaction. So it's got some, I think, game-changing ramifications for our economy. Now, I think for an Accounting firm, I would say, what would it take to audit blockchain? Like, who's going to help put the trust in it? Because your point, people are going to be skeptical no matter what you say. Right. So, who's going to be the group that can put trust in it? I'd love to see that be CPAs. I think um, everything from inventory control to, again, um, transactions like homeowner transactions, et cetera, could all be legit. You know, as I look at adoption of technology, everyone says, you know, well, when will it be? at its biggest impact. And the state of Delaware just passed a law authorizing blockchains for some securities transactions. So that would tell me, right, if a state is actively thinking about it in that way, that would tell me that it's a lot more mainstream, maybe than many of us think.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that statement. Very much so. Wow. So this I mean this this potentially so what's this 2017? What, nineteen? 20?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly in I think in the 3 year horizon. I mean, you know, the famous quote from Bill Gates says we tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the next I think he said 3 years and underestimate its impact in the next 10. Right. I think this is like right in that window. That 3 years we could start to see, you know, it isn't going to like turn our profession upside down in 2 years, but I think you're going to see mainstream adoption Starting in three, and then in by ten, it's going to have a. You know, they say uh, I think it was I'm trying kind to of think who the guy. Oh, Mark Andreessen, the guy, the Netscape guy. He believed he's the kind of guy that formed HTTP and and really changed the internet for everybody. I think uh, he would say this is going to be as big as that. And he said, you know, the thing is, everyone's running around like, how does blockchain work? Well, no one's running around asking how http um, H. TTP and HTML all work. It works, and now it's kind of second nature. He thinks that's what's going to happen to this idea of blockchain, basically conveying transactions of value with multiple parties.
1: Think about like like a like a a company. There would be a heavy obviously heavy investment into IT. uh and doing this and what would happen to i mean i'm thinking about like the finance department because it it, I, i guess my other question is with blockchain can you do a version of data mining it's it's all in a database
0: right so if you have access to a blockchain database you have access to all the sides of the transaction who they are where they originated who's involved right so you do have a database of all those transactions
1: Okay, so then let me ask this question. Where does Watson fit in in this? Where does AI? So that I think you just hit it in the head. I think what's, what's happening
0: with these transactions, in my opinion, Peter, and from what I can read, it, it, uh, and, and the folks I'm talking to who are working in these spaces, it's, it's all about this idea of convergence, right? All these technologies are leveraging each other. And that's what's creating the, the both the speed and the magnitude of the changes. So, you know, think about the cloud. So let's just go back one point, right? The cloud is what has allowed massive computing power, distributed computing power, to be used. That's where artificial intelligence got real. So the fact that literally these computers harness every computer in the cloud for their speed, right? That's how they can process. So my... My son's in a SAP class in college and the instructor said the new SAP, SAP is an uh, ERP enterprise level system, right? That's never, I thought would never be in the cloud. So they're moving Oracle, all these guys are moving to the cloud very rapidly. He said that their SAP system called HANA, because it runs in the cloud, has power, has all this computing power at its tips, essentially, could process every tax return in the history of the world since 1957 to now in under four minutes. (laughs) Okay. So think about that computing power, right? That's what the cloud is enabling and not everyone thinks of it that way, but that's what's happening, right? Storage, Mm -hmm. processing power. So all that is now happening. So what Watson and that's how Watson runs, by the way, it isn't on one big computer up in IBM. It's on, millions of computers all over the world. And what Watson would do, so imagine this blockchain database, and now, to your point, it's a database. Mm -hmm. All that data can be analyzed with artificial intelligence. So instead of, you know, Peter and Tom sitting there trying to sort our Excel spreadsheet with 50,000 columns in it in, uh, you know, two days, Watson's doing that in less than a second, right? That's the difference. So now you could crank them and analyze them with extra rules and, and artificial intelligence so that you'd have access to now what does that database really mean
1: wow I, okay you've got that's my, my my I need to take an aspirin I think i have it. <laughs> uh, that, that's i mean I, nobody's been able to really articulate it to me until now so i'm i as we're as i'm listening to you i'm trying to wrap my my mind around it and then i'm also uh, uh, thinking about okay the profession and is this really where cpas we'll we'll, we'll take it from a firm's perspective uh maybe it's both this anticipatory cpa on apparently we're not gonna have to crank i i've made a comment in a session once i think excel was going to be extinct in five years and you thought i cussed everybody out in the room they were appalled and and but what i'm hearing i might be right you might um, be so w- what does it what what this anticipatory we need to you know, i always said the p and cpa stands for procrastination <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> but it really needs to stand for progress or it stands for forward thinking or or you know quit being the historian and, and now let's be the futurist per se
0: exactly i mean so the best way I can relate to it is I spent the early part of my career as a CFO in, in the corporate world. I was a highway construction company. And to get the data right, we were probably a, a million-dollar contractor. To get the data right every month, and close the books. So I had everything ready for the taxes and the audit for the bank and all that stuff. It took all we could do to just get the data right. And the thing that was most frustrating to me is I went to school to understand the language of a business so that I could help people that didn't have to understand that language, right? The yeah. CEO, my CEO was a, you know, Marine, came back from World War II, started this business. He didn't know accounting. I mean, he picked a lot of it up as in his years of experience. But the point was, he wanted me to help explain what the numbers meant and not from what happened. He wanted to know what's going to happen. Right? I'm, I want my numbers today to go look for next month. I mean, even here in, in the association right now, I'm sitting here now, I'm, I'm wearing the CEO hat. It's August 18th, and I don't know how we did in July. So if I'm planning, right, because we, our audit was June 30, I mean, there's some legitimate reasons, but, but the bottom line is most of our accounting folks are spending everything they've got just to get the book the done, the transactions recorded the books closed And they're not having time to analyze it and interpret it. And that's what I need, right? I need to know not what happened in July. I want to know where we are in the middle of August, where we think we'll be at the end of August, and what should we be doing to get on budget and and make our our numbers. Right, right. That's what I think CPAs need to be doing, right? And the same thing in, in the tax arena, right? The big growing thing now in tax is like a holistic tax planner, right, that includes Looking at their retirement, their investments, and their are they going to send their kids to college? And what are their goals for their family? That's the fun stuff that people care about. Telling them that, you know, you owe this much taxes isn't exactly fun unless they are getting a big refund. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's not that – people don't say, I want to get my taxes done. That's not what they wake up and do. And a CFO doesn't wake up and say, I'm going to go get my audit done today. That's not what he wants. He wants to build trust in his bank, so he's got a line of credit, right? But he, he, the audit is a tool, but it isn't what he really would love to have.
1: You said something earlier in the conversation about your CEO, and you needed to explain the language of business to him so he could understand it. And as you're articulating this, I'm going, because I've been saying for a while, you know, we speak a foreign language. Accountants speak a foreign language. It's called accounting. Yes. And, and, and the, the, if, the ability to take complex information counting rules, taxation rules, whatever, and put it in a context that somebody who doesn't have that knowledge can understand, I think that's another place of value that that futuristic CPAs should possess.
0: That's what we mean. That's when we say, you know, getting rid of the rear view mirror look and starting to look out the windshield, that's exactly what we mean. Understand the language, being able to analyze a business, look for those leading indicators, help explain to the business how they can prosper and thrive in an age of a lot of turmoil, right? That's the whole point of what we're calling kind of this idea of an anticipatory future-ready CPA.
1: Yeah, I I, I love that concept. And just on on a side note, I was uh, when I was down on vacation in Siesta Key, uh, a former board member uh, of the Ohio Society, who's a who's a partner in a, a regional firm that's kind of based out of Ohio. We were we had breakfast one morning. And we were talking. I mentioned anticipatory CPA. He goes, "Do you know Tom Hood?" I just started laughing. You facilitated uh, the anticipatory CPA to his firm, uh, uh, to, to all the partners in his firm. I think it was probably here uh, in Ohio at the time. Yeah. And he said that, and his, his comment to me was, our managing partner has been talking about technology and how it's going to change for such a long time. We, we needed to figure out how to adapt and move forward. And he's, he just raved about that program.
0: Oh, that's cool. I I mean, you hit on the head, right? What, and the thing that I think that worries me, and might be with your P procrastination word, Peter, is that we've been talking about a lot of this for a long time. And so there are people in the profession, especially folks that are in, in my age, the boomer generation who might say, yeah, I've been hearing about this crap, you know, for 10 years and it's not happening. And, and I think what, has woken me up is a realization about the exponential curve. And when you actually see the curve how it goes, it looks linear and slow and then it curves up dramatically into that hockey stick and that's when it like hits its full pace, right? So 10 steps in, you know, you're doubling and it's 100, 1000 and it's going up at that rate. So I think we're at that stage now because of the cloud and all these technologies that are available. And so someone might have said, you know, artificial intelligence a year ago, that's not going to happen. We're seeing applications of it right now in the profession. So what's happening is the pace of change now is real, and it's happening a lot faster than most people think. So someone might have said, I looked at that three years ago. Well, heck, it could be completely different and much more relevant now. And they might not. They might have just discounted some of that stuff. That's my worry.
1: Yeah, I, I would. I would agree with that. Um, it, and what was it? it's, a, it's almost two years now? I think it's almost two years since KPMG and IBM signed the agreement to bring Watson into the auditing practice. Well, you know, if that Alphabet soup has that that technology, you know, the other ones are doing it. the other big.
0: They all have it. There's there's a commercial application right now. There's actually, actually two or three for auditing that even mid-sized firms can have access to now so it's already happening
1: yeah it it's that that aspect i i i anticipated would would the big four would be all over it and i imagine they're all over the, as you said the, the, this this next bit of technology and it seems like maybe the, the i don't know top 50 firms maybe the top 75 firms probably are in in in, in the arena of okay this is happening we need to do something about it The others are going going to be late to the party. And that's why we want people
0: to do what we think is become more future-ready, right? The idea of anticipatory is aware, predictive, and adaptive. So do you even know that the trend is real? Can you predict what it might do for you or your client or your company? And then what would you start doing to adapt to it? So the good news about the cloud, in my opinion, Peter, is that it it will democratize this software very fast so it won't be that the top 100 because of money have like this total lock on all these great technologies the beauty is many of them will become saas service models right that you can literally subscribe to like watson you can subscribe to watson stuff as an individual right now for like next to nothing really so yeah so the beauty is this technology is moving down channel so fast because of the cloud it never would have before but now because of the mass market it can and so i think a smart firm is going to be watching playing and and listening looking at who the players are and then looking at when the right time for them to jump into it is but the reality is they could be jumping into it literally today
1: interesting i didn't really realize you could access watson on an individual basis yeah. Um. And then as we're, we're we're discussing this, my university professor hat goes on top of my head, and I go, "We're I I I have to believe we're not preparing the accounting students who are in this in this uh, in the universities today for this new technology for this new disrupt potential disruptiveness. We're still probably still teaching the same way we've been teaching for thirty years.
0: That's probably on average true. We we just had our student leadership academy where we got to talk to young folks in, these are juniors and seniors in probably 15 schools in the Mid-Atlantic. And they were mixed on what was happening. But for the most part, they were getting some, you know, things about big data and and machines and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was starting to happen. And then that's why we, as we talked to our employers, said, you know, it's going to take a long time for the university systems to adapt. And uh, and therefore, the employers are going to have to pick up Share right. That's un- uh, it's it's sad but true. So what we did is we actually went and talked to IBM because we said IBM, what's gonna, where do you see this disruption going? And they gave me hope. So they came down and visited with us. And two things. First of all, they said these are the technologies that they're betting on. They're betting on blockchain, big data, and artificial intelligence, a la Watson. So that's the three major exponential technologies they believe are going to be fundamental in the future. And then the second thing they did is they actually gave gave us and are working with us to create a special, we're trying to call it a future-ready portal of learning for CPAs to learn about artificial intelligence and big data and data science and deep machine learning and all those in blockchain, all those emerging areas so that they can actually be prepared. And uh, this won't make them experts. It won't make them um, you know, Hadoop programmers and artificial intelligence, but it will give them a familiarity with the technology and an understanding of the terms, so that as this technology starts to unfold, they'll be able to see the power and usage, and they'll understand the major concepts that will help them when they're actually working with some of the folks you know controlling these technologies. So, yeah, we're we're going to be releasing that any day now. It's um it's going to have a series of about. I think we're going out with um, like eight or 10 courses. And then uh, IBM has said they'll probably be adding, um, you know, one or two a month from then on. So it'll be completely, and it isn't about IBM technology, interesting enough. It's about generic. Now they might use examples of IBM technology, but it's meant to familiarize CPAs with these uh, crazy concepts so that they get comfortable with this kind of technology.
1: Oh, so, so they have made it industry specific.
0: In in this case, so actually, that's our job, believe it or not. So what happens is IBM is going to give it to us in a generic form. We're going to curate that and say how much of this seems directly applicable. And then we'll add whatever context we need to make it more specific to our profession.
1: And is this learning? Is it on demand? Is it live? On demand,
0: micro uh, or nano based learning, very small snippets. Uh, easy to consume, and at this point, not qualified for CPE. We have to do a lot of work. So our thinking <laughs> is to make it to make it um, very low cost or free to our core customer base and and friends, and then um, probably a little bit of a charge for those who aren't. And ultimately, uh, the idea of CPE is uh, it, it's going to take some work. And so it was cost issue, and we might once we crack it, then we'd say, if you want CPE, pay for this so you, we can afford to house your transcript and do all the extra development that we need to do to
1: make that happen. I guess in thinking about, I guess, CPE recording, CPE tracking could be part of blockchain. Absolutely.
0: That'd be a great application for blockchain.
1: So we wouldn't have to worry about the dings and on a webinar or something like that. It shows that if you were attended the whole session, that's... Uh, that's interesting so it's it sounds like for, for the MACPA, it's going could be more of a member benefit
0: that's our thinking right and, and our business learning Institute um, clients
1: okay that's an investment yeah that's that's an investment but it's an investment into the future and uh, providing that information qualify yeah so in the, in the aspect of getting it qualified for cPE it's going through all the 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 hurdles at NASBA in order to get it to qualify and those are not easy hurdles to jump through.
0: Yes, exactly. So that's where we are in that. But I mean, it's exciting that M was willing to work with us from that stand, standpoint, and uh, it's it's exciting. I mean, I think it's our it's our way of trying to help, like the Anticipatory Organization, like we do with your MBA Express and others. We're trying to get the programs that really give people the skills that they're going to need, instead of just raw technical skills.
1: So it's almost like, do we need to go back and do the Horizons twenty twenty five project all over again? Because I think there's some new things that probably need to be in there, or, or maybe it needs to be worded a little bit differently uh, than what we came out with a few years ago.
0: Well, it's uh, you know the interesting you just that you brought that up. Um, we we are going to be releasing research uh, in the next probably couple of weeks that really went to what are the future ready competencies you're going to need to work with machines right? In this age of robots. And uh, we looked at every one of the major thought leaders in this space. Um, Jeff Colvin, Humans Are Underrated. I know you've read, talk about the book, Um, The Age of the Second Machine by um, uh, Bernolfsen and McAfee, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, Klaus Schwab, Institute for the Future. So we, we took all those books and studied like what they were saying about the future. We cataloged all that created a matrix, and added the Horizons on there. And sure enough, the Horizons work is about, you know, there's eight competencies we believe are critical for the future. The the Horizons actually had six of them, right? Okay. And I think, for me, what I think caused that is, when you crowdsource that, which is what the Horizons did, both in-person and virtual, something like 75,000 people weighed in, that's what you get, right? You actually get some pretty heavy work that, that's relevant. So, um, yeah, so we're going to be publishing that in a couple of weeks, but it is effectively, uh, the horizons plus a couple. <laughs> horizons
1: on steroids? Yeah, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's it. Enhanced. Now, now when you say you, when you say we, you're talking about the Maryland association did this research and, and has put this information together. And is that in conjunction with the AICPA or is that? This was just us.
0: So we, this was through our business learning Institute and yeah, we just, we've just we just been hearing everyone getting nervous about it, saying, what's, gonna, what's it mean? What's it going to do? How do we deal with it? We, obviously, the IBM thing gave us more insight. So we just kind of said, it's time to just update that research effectively. And we just took a hunch and said, let's look at all these major books and sources and catalog it and create a matrix and look across the matrix to find out where the commonalities
1: are. And you said this is coming out uh, very soon?
0: Yeah, about two weeks.
1: Where will it be published?
0: Uh, we'll probably be publishing a white paper. We'll do a press release. It'll be on BLI's website. Okay. I'll send you a copy the minute we get it
1: ready. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. When I go out in a program, and if I'm talking about the Horizons 2025 project, and I ask the audience, has anybody read this? I had I had one person who did, because he was a chair of the State Society's board, and actually had a copy outside of that, nobody read it. So I think that we've got to find a way to get this information out there and maybe in multiple media sources to get people to to read the thing. Yeah. And to understand it.
0: It's one of the profession's, unfortunately, best-kept secrets.
1: It, it, it really is. And once I you know I explain to everybody what it is and go, kind of go through the, the competencies, the light goes on, they get it, but... Nobody's really spent any time, and, and knowing the busy life of a CPA, I, I, my concern is that the when, when they walk out of the session, they've left the 2025 project that that knowledge back in the classroom and haven't taken it with them. Exactly, and that that is that is a challenge to 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 get that change because I mean there's so much information coming at us from every which direction. Like I said, I think the the the, the P in procrastination does kind of. Kick in, especially uh, with something like that. Yeah, I, I would. I would have to assume that there's a fair. Not there's there's a a group of naysayers out there because there always there always is. And, and I and hopefully this group is not too vocal or gaining any ground or making any unwanted noise or or I hate to use this term, but creating fake news. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of anything like that?
0: I mean, there's always gonna be uh the folks so what i tell what I say to those folks is if you watched the Super Bowl last year, you saw a commercial with h and r block and i b m Watson yeah, so if you don't think it's coming to a theater near you, <laughs> what would that tell you right? That's like the slowest end of the tax preparation market, and it's showing up there I think. You know, the, the fact is you can underestimate it, but our research, and then we obviously we've hired a, a global futurist, uh, Dan Burris, to help us. Yeah, the argument about this stuff is these are hard facts, right? These are future facts that if you ignore them, what I would say to them is then why don't you start thinking about what's the predictable problem you'll happen when you don't do any of this stuff?
1: You're out of business. Right. Very sim- Very simply, yeah. Uh, it kind of goes along the lines of succession planning. I think succession planning right now in the profession is can somebody buy me? Right. right. Vers- versus developing the talent and and the, the price
0: is going down.
1: Right. Wow. That's I, I, that's a whole lot of information and in, in, in a short amount of time. Is there anything as we get, begin to wrap up? Is there anything else that you're seeing out there that that? We haven't discussed that would be uh, beneficial to the audience? The only
0: only thing I would say is what's happening is we're in this period where change is real and and firms and companies have to adapt. I mean, 78% of our business and industry members said that they're feeling moderate to severe disruption. So they want their CPA firms and they want their CFOs to help them be proactive, trusted advisors. What's happening, though, is we're, in, we're also busier than ever. If you talk to anyone, the moniker is, I'm busy. I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. So I think we're dealing with these two powerful forces, the, the kind of force of staying up on the day-to-day while you keep falling behind, right, this idea of the urgent, I got to get this done, I got to catch up, versus the important, which is the other force of I've got to move my firm or my company forward. Now, in the old days when change was slower, that urgency of moving the firm forward, like changing my culture, transforming my business model, that wasn't urgent, right? It wasn't even important. So now what we've got to do is we've got to make room for that important stuff more than ever because that stuff's making the difference. And the day to day, while it still has to happen, it's urgent. It can't kind of shutter out the importance. So I think that's what everyone's dealing with is how do I get
1: to to kind of move into that important phase a little bit more so I can keep things moving. Wow. Okay. So those of you who are listening to this, take that into consideration. Uh, It's it's another way, I guess, work-life balance. Uh, The the firm, the organization's balance, you still got to get the day-to-day done, but you need to have a portion of it carved out to figure out what's coming tomorrow, which is coming a lot quicker than it did 10, 15, 20 years ago. That's great, uh, Tom. I, I can't, I can't begin to thank you enough. Uh, I, I love these conversations. I, I could talk with you for hours, and, and we have in the past. But I appreciate you taking time and spending with me and, and sharing this knowledge, this important knowledge, with, with my audience.
0: Same here. I love. Uh, again, that was is also good catching up to you, Peter. So keep, keep, keep it going.
1: I'm trying. You too. <laughs> I would like to thank Tom again for being a guest today and discussing the impact of technology is having on the accounting profession. I would like to talk about the first five episodes of this podcast are now qualified for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, former CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, author of Gratitude Marketing, Tom Hood, well you've been introduced to him and you will be introduced to him again. Ed Lewitz, who's a partner with, with him, Smith and & Brown, and Carl Aurex, who's an HR professional at Gregory and Appel. These episodes are located on the MACPA BLI self-study website and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can listen to them on your daily commute or while working out, or even at your desk. When you're finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or your computer. It's that easy. While all selected Improvers No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. This is not nano-learning, this is self-study learning. You can get detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn, Improv is No Joke podcast on my homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you would like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership in life for $14.99 and the shipping's free, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic available now on my homepage. Just click and go to the shopping cart. In addition, you can download Improv is No Joke audiobook for $14.99 so you can listen on the go. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. My Twitter handle is at P. Margaritas. And you can find me on Instagram by searching P. Margaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Peter Margaritas. In episode 68, I interviewed Greg Condorachi, who is the author of Getting Up, Supercharging Your Energy. This is the final episode of a three-part interview with Greg. Greg did write a review on my podcast and stated, as accountants enter their crazy busy season, This podcast is especially important. Manage your energy and your value, not just your time. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Peter and looking forward to the next two installments. If you haven't heard the first two installments, go back and listen to episode 35 and 46. It is well worth your time. Thank you again for listening, and I'd greatly appreciate it if you would take time and leave a review on iTunes for me. Remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization.